0: today is march 12th this is verses and flow i'm jennifer wainwright and i am honored to be spending this time with you i am happy to be here i am so grateful and glad that you are here we'll be returning to the book of numbers in the old testament today however we will be starting a new book in the New Testament as we concluded the Gospel of Mark yesterday. So let's get into it. Let's figure out what it is that God wants for us and what he wants from us today. One other thing, I did decide to change our translation this week. I was reading ahead in the Modern English Version and comparing it to some of the other translations. And for what we will be reading I just preferred the New Living Translation, so that's where we're going today. Numbers 19.20, the water of purification. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, here is another legal requirement commanded by the Lord. Tell the people of Israel to bring you a red heifer, a perfect animal that has no defects and has never been yoked to a plow. Give it to Eleazar the priest and it will be taken outside the camp and slaughtered in his presence. Eleazar will take some of its blood on his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tabernacle. As Eleazar watches, the heifer must be burned, its hide, meat, blood, and dung. Eleazar the priest must then take a stick of cedar, a hyssop branch, and some scarlet yarn and throw them into the fire where the heifer is burning. Then the priest must wash his clothes and bathe himself in water. Afterward, he may return to the camp, though he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. The man who burns the animal must also wash his clothes and bathe himself in water, and he too will remain unclean until evening. Then someone who is ceremonially clean, will gather up the ashes of the heifer and deposit them in a purified place outside the camp. They will be kept there for the community of Israel to use in the water for the purification ceremony. This ceremony is performed for the removal of sin. The man who gathers up the ashes of the heifer must also wash his clothes and he will remain ceremonially unclean until evening. This is a permanent law for the people of Israel and any foreigners who live among them. All those who touch a dead human body will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. They must purify themselves on the third and seventh days with the water of purification. Then they will be purified. But if they do not do this on the third and seventh days, they will continue to be unclean even after the seventh day. All those who touch a dead body and do not purify themselves in the proper way defile the Lord's tabernacle and they will be cut off from the community of Israel. Since the water of purification was not sprinkled on them, their defilement continues. This is the ritual law that applies when someone dies inside a tent. All those who entered that tent and those who were inside when the death occurred will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Any open container in the tent that was not covered with a lid is also defiled, and if someone in an open field touches the corpse of someone who was killed with a sword or who died a natural death, or if someone touches a human bone or a grave, that person will be defiled for seven days. To remove the defilement, put some of the ashes from the burnt purification offering in a jar and pour fresh water over them. Then, someone who is ceremonially clean must take a hyssop branch and dip it into the water. That person must sprinkle the water on the tent, on all the furnishings in the tent, and on the people who were in the tent. Also, on the person who touched a human bone, or touched someone who was killed or who died naturally, or touched a grave. On the third and seventh days, the person who was ceremonially clean must sprinkle the water on those who are defiled. Then on the seventh day the people being cleansed must wash their clothes and bathe themselves, and that evening they will be cleansed of their defilement. But those who become defiled and do not purify themselves will be cut off from the community, for they have defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. Since the water of purification has not been sprinkled on them, they remain defiled, This is a permanent law for the people. Those who sprinkle the water of purification must afterward wash their clothes, and anyone who touches the water used for purification will remain defiled until evening. Anything and anyone that a defiled person touches will be ceremonially unclean until evening. Moses strikes the rock. In the first month of the year, the whole community of Israel arrived in the wilderness of Zin and camped at Kadesh. While they were there, Miriam died and was buried. There was no water for the people to drink at that place, so they rebelled against Moses and Aaron. People blamed Moses and said, "'If only we had died in the Lord's presence with our brothers,' Why have you brought the congregation of the Lord's people into this wilderness to die, along with our livestock? Why did you make us leave Egypt and bring us here to this terrible place? This land has no grain, no figs, no grapes, no pomegranates, and no water to drink. Moses and Aaron turned away from the people and went to the entrance of the tabernacle, where they fell face down on the ground. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to them, And the Lord said to Moses, You and Aaron must take the staff and assemble the entire community. As the people watch, speak to the rock over there, and it will pour out its water. You will provide enough water from the rock to satisfy the whole community and their livestock. So Moses did as he was told. He took the staff from the place where it was kept before the Lord. Then he and Aaron summoned the people to come and gather at the rock. Listen, you rebels, he shouted. Must we bring you water from this rock? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with the staff, and water gushed out. So the entire community and their livestock drank their fill. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me enough to demonstrate my holiness to the people of Israel, you will not lead them into the land I am giving them. This place was known as the waters of Meribah, which means arguing, because there the people of Israel argued with the Lord, and there he demonstrated his holiness among them. Edom Refuses Israel Passage While Moses was at Kadesh, he sent ambassadors to the king of Edom with this message. This is what your relatives, the people of Israel say. You know all the hardships we have been through. Our ancestors went down to Egypt and we lived there a long time. And we and our ancestors were brutally mistreated by the Egyptians. But when we cried out to the Lord, he heard us and sent an angel who brought us out of Egypt. Now we are camped at Kadesh, a town on the border of your land. Please let us travel through your land. We will be careful not to go through your fields and vineyards. We won't even drink water from your wells. We will stay on the king's road and never leave it until we have passed through your territory. But the king of Edom said, Stay out of my land or I will meet you with an army. The Israelites answered, We will stay on the main road. If our livestock drink your water, we will pay for it. Just let us pass through your country. That's all we ask. But the king of Edom replied, Stay out. You may not pass through our land. With that, he mobilized his army and marched out against them with an imposing force. Because Edom refused to allow Israel to pass through their country, Israel was forced to turn around. The death of Aaron. The whole community of Israel left Kadesh and arrived at Mount Hor. There, on the border of the land of Edom, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, The time has come for Aaron to join his ancestors in death. He will not enter the land I am giving the people of Israel, because the two of you rebelled against my instructions concerning the water at Meribah. Now take Aaron and his son Eleazar up Mount Hor. There you will remove Aaron's priestly garments and put them on Eleazar, his son. Aaron will die there and join his ancestors. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. The three of them went up Mount Hor together as the whole community watched. At the summit, Moses removed the priestly garments from Aaron and put them on Eleazar, Aaron's son. Then Aaron died there on top of the mountain And Moses and Eleazar went back down. When the people realized that Aaron had died, all Israel mourned for him 30 days. So, as I mentioned up top, we are starting a new book in the New Testament today as we concluded the Gospel of Mark yesterday. It is the Gospel of Luke, which is the third Gospel we're encountering on our sojourn through the Scriptures here in the New Testament. It was written around 60-70 to AD and authorship is attributed to Luke, a physician and companion of Paul, and also a Gentile Christian. Now, this is significant because he is the only known Gentile, that is non-Jewish, author in the New Testament. The Gospel of Luke is characterized by its emphasis on Jesus as a compassionate and inclusive Savior who reaches out to all people regardless of their social status or background. Luke focuses on Jesus' attitude on social issues and his concern for the poor, the oppressed, widows, orphans, the sick, the elderly, children, and those with disabilities. Luke also shows Jesus affirming the value of several other groups that were denied full acceptance in the society of his day, including women, children, Samaritans, Gentiles, tax collectors, and sinners. There's a strong emphasis in Luke's Gospel on Jesus' compassion and humanity. His 24 chapters are known also for their attention to detail and their historical accuracy as evidenced by his careful research and use of sources. It is the longest of the four Gospels and contains the most detailed account of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Luke's Gospel also includes unique stories not found in the other Gospels, such as the parables of the Good Samaritan and the Prodigal Son, And his account of Jesus is renowned for its beautiful depictions. In contrast to Mark, there is no sense of urgency with Luke. His is a story that advances our knowledge about who Jesus is, one small step at a time. The Africa Bible Commentary describes how Luke understood the power of storytelling to illustrate truth. It says in the Old Testament and the Gospels God's interaction with people is not conveyed by means of abstract or philosophical concepts, but through stories. The Bible is a collection of stories about individuals, families, communities, nations, and events, all of which unite to tell the overarching story of God's redemption of humanity. In reading these stories. Our concern must be to see how each step advances our faith. While Luke's story moves forward in small steps, it leaves behind deep footprints regarding what it means to be a child of God and Ubuntu that is truly human. It is ultimately a story of joy, the story of the good news. And now let's get into it. Luke chapter 1 verses 1 through 25. Introduction. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, Most Honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. The birth of John the Baptist foretold. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside, praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, "'Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, How can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Psalm 56, for the choir director, a psalm of David, regarding the time the Philistines seized him in Gath to be sung to the tune, Dove on Distant Oaks. O oh God, have mercy on me, for people are hounding me. My foes attack me all day long. I am constantly hounded by those who slander me, and many are boldly attacking me. But when I am afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? They are always twisting what I say. They spend their days plotting to harm me. They come together to spy on me, watching my every step, eager to kill me. Don't let them get away with their wickedness. In your anger, oh God, bring them down. You keep track of all my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. My enemies will retreat when I call to you for help. This I know, God is on my side. I praise God for what he has promised. Yes, I praise the Lord for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? I will fulfill my vows to you, O God, and will offer a sacrifice of thanks for your help. For you have rescued me from death, you have kept my feet from slipping. So now I can walk in your presence, O God, in your life-giving light. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 8 The godly are rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. So just a very quick summary of what we read in the Old Testament. Numbers 19 and 20 describes the process Of purifying oneself after coming into contact with a dead body or a tent where someone had died. Now, you have to remember that those who have been sentenced to die in the wilderness, this first generation of Israelites out of Egypt, number 600,000 people, about. If we were to average that out, that means a little over 40 people a day were dying. You can see the need for this ritual if the living were to remain ceremonially clean. It would have been very difficult to avoid contact with death on their journey with this many people dying. As we begin chapter 20, it has been 40 years since the Israelites left Egypt and 38 since they sent spies into the land. Now, the Bible is virtually silent about those 37, 38 years of aimless wandering in the wilderness. But what we do know is that their previous excursion had come full circle and they were no closer to their destination, having wandered for three decades without crossing the threshold of their promised land. Miriam died in Kadesh and was laid to rest, a sad reminder of the cost of unbelief that spanned an entire generation. The death toll from chapters 19 to 20 amounted to that 600,000 people. Also in chapter 20, the Israelites complain about the lack of water, and here we see how Moses was kept out. Moses is instructed by God to speak to a rock to get the thirsty people some water. However, Instead of simply using his voice, Moses strikes the rock twice with his staff, makes a statement akin to him and Aaron being the ones responsible for bringing the water out of the rock rather than God, probably and presumably out of his frustration. But as a result, God tells him that because he didn't trust him enough to demonstrate his holiness to the people of Israel— Moses will not get to lead the Israelites into the promised land, and this may seem like a harsh sentence, but Moses royally botched what was supposed to be an act of care and mercy and provision by God, despite the Israelites grumbling and complaining. It was an act of care toward his people. Moses botched it by performing it with hostility and anger. That was the complete opposite of what God was trying to convey. And he took credit for the act on top of it. If we're being honest, we know Moses knew better and was being held to the highest of standards because he was the leader. What I found curious, however, is that all the times Moses had pleaded with God and interceded for the Israelites when they were about to find themselves on the wrong end of God's wrath. The Bible records nothing of him praying or petitioning God for himself. And I wondered, considering how highly God thought of him, the way that they had been communicating all this time, if God would have changed his mind had Moses asked for forgiveness and another chance. I guess I just really wanted to see him make it after coming so far. Chapter 20 concludes with the death of Aaron. The Lord commands Moses and Aaron to go up to Mount Hor where Aaron's priestly garments are removed and put on his son, Eleazar. Aaron dies there on top of the mountain and Moses and Eleazar go back down. When the people realize that Aaron is gone, all Israel mourns for him for 30 days. Jesus, Miriam, and Aaron, and Daddy Wainwright, all in one week. But then we have this joy of new life in Luke. Elizabeth is having a baby, y'all, and not just any baby. The one who is to prepare the way for our coming Savior. Whew, these up and down emotions in the last seven days, I don't know what I am feeling, Okay, okay. So on one level, I am being a bit facetious, but on another, I am totally not. I know y'all get it though. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word and for the teaching moments that you have prepared for us in your word. Lord, we thank you for the reminder this week that life and death are both in your hands. We thank you for the lessons on the importance of faith, of trust, and obedience, and Lord, we don't always come to you seeking forgiveness, instead making decisions that cost us dearly. But Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that your grace is greater than our sins. We thank you that while your judgment is just and fair, your mercy is there for us as well. Thank you that we can be forgiven when we turn to you in humility and repentance. Please realign our hearts with your truth, renew our minds, and strengthen our resolve to do right. Lord, as we go about our days today and tomorrow, we ask that you would give us the insight and wisdom we need for every conversation we have to have, every decision we need to make, every meeting we have to lead, every project we need to complete, every relationship we need to nurture, every goal we need to accomplish. Lord, we pray that you would give us the agility to be kind and gracious in every encounter we have, knowing that it is your will for us to serve others as your ambassadors here on earth. Lord, we want our lives to reflect your light so brightly through our actions that everyone who crosses our paths will see the difference between darkness and light. Please help us to listen well and speak truthfully that we would be quick to understand and slow to anger, kind, generous, and circumspect with our time and thoughtful about how we use our skills and gifts. Lord, we ask that you would help us to give and receive love in the same way that we are so deeply loved by you as our Father in heaven. May we find joy in every day and peace in every situation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And our affirmation for today, I have a strong sense of purpose and direction, and I am willing to work hard to make my aspirations a reality. I have a strong sense of purpose and direction, and I am willing to work hard to make my aspirations a reality. And our aphorism, the Bible is a guidebook, The way to master it is to let it master us. That's all I have for you today. Thank you so much for being here with me today. You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I love you and I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you.